0: So, Ruth uh, chapter 3. Well, in chapter 1, we looked at God's uh, providence and uh, we saw how behind a frowning providence, God hides a smiling face. And then in chapter 2, we looked at God's uh, Hesed, his loving kindness, and we saw that if we take refuge under God's wings, then he will pursue us all our life long with loving kindness. And that brings us to the start of chapter 3. It's fair to say that this is the most debated chapter in the book of Ruth. And the the debate revolves around Naomi. Um, Is her plan... um, Is it wise or is it not? Um, now, I'm not going to go into the debate in detail, um, although you will find out where I come down uh, on, uh, which side I come down on, uh, in what I say. But what I, the question I really want us to look at is this, and I think this is one of the main points of the chapter. And, uh, and the question is this, how do you uh, trust God in whatever circumstance you find yourself in? How do you learn to trust God? In any and every situation. You know, when you're at home, when you're at work, when you're playing footy, when you're reading, in whatever situation you find yourself, how do you learn to be able to trust God at that time and in that place? I think that's one of the main things of one of the main points of chapter 3. I think that's what the story here is helping us to see. And it's helping us to see it through three uh, different scenes which happen at three times of the day. You've got the late afternoon and then you've got the midnight hour and then you've got the early morning. (coughs) And through those three scenes we see three things that help us answer that question of how we can trust God. In every circumstance. So three things I want us to see. I want want us to see the presence of sin. The practice of faith. And the provision of plenty. The presence of sin. The practice of faith. And the provision of plenty. First of all the presence of sin. In verse 1 Naomi says. My daughter. Should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were see he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor Naomi as we saw at the end of chapter 2 is recovering from her feeling of bitterness and emptiness and she's beginning to look outwards to Ruth that's one of the things that God's love does to you when You experience God's love. You begin to look out for others. She wants Ruth to be looked after and provided for. And she begins to wonder at the end of chapter 2. Whether Boaz could be the answer to her prayers. She says in verse 20 of chapter 2. He is one of our redeemers. That word redeemer is the Hebrew word goel. Now what is a redeemer? What was redeemer? Of Goel Well when Israel went into the land um, uh, To inherit it The land was divided up amongst tribes And amongst families So every person could have a bit If someone got into debt Then they would have to sell their land Just like Naomi has to sell her land Now there were two provisions For getting that land back And God put those provisions in the law because God doesn't want society to be at extremes of rich and poor. And so every 50 years, the land would automatically go back to the families who sold it. But before the 50 years were up, it was possible to get that land back. A family member, a redeemer, could buy that land back for you. And Boaz was one of these redeemers, or kinsman redeemers, they're called in the law. Now for Boaz to act as Naomi's redeemer would be a big ask. Naomi's got a huge debt. She hasn't got any, any heirs to maintain the family name. And so although technically I don't think he had to marry Ruth, there would be an expectancy for her, him to acquire her as his wife. To continue the family line and we know that she's a Moabite she's not from good stock and on top of all this Boaz hasn't actually made a move there's been six weeks of harvesting those six weeks are are, are over and and Boaz and his men are are winnowing the the crops it's the end of the harvest time now the winning would take the winnowing would take place at um, a rocky outcrop outside the uh, the city um, where the evening breeze could uh, blow away the chaff and the grain could fall to the ground. Uh, the men would sleep on the floor of the, flesh, of the threshing floor to protect the grain uh, from wild animals and from thieves. And so threshing floors were places where prostitutes would go and ply their trade. Now, Naomi knows all that and she hatches a plan in verse 3 Wash therefore. And anoint yourself, she says to Ruth. Put on some perfume, maybe a bit of lippy. Put on a cloak, nice dress. Disguise yourself and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. She's to remain hidden. And then the plot gets a bit more dodgy. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet. That Hebrew word can also mean uncover his legs and lie down at his feet. Uncover his legs so that he will wake up in the middle of the night with cold toes. And when he wakes up, she says, he will tell you what to do. Now, that seems like a high-risk strategy. I know some commentators don't think it is, but it just doesn't seem to be the sort of advice that you'd expect a godly old woman to give to an attractive 20-something-year-old. You know, earlier Naomi was so concerned for Ruth's safety that she said, you need to stay in Boaz's field in the daytime near his workers so you're not attacked or abused. And now, she says, go out of the city by yourself at night and lie down on the threshing floor where prostitutes hang out. And she's a Moabite. You know, there's, there's history here. If you know your Old Testament, you'll know that that Moab was conceived by incest at night in a cave. And in the book of Numbers the Moabite women seduced Israelite men in the wilderness. And that brought great judgment on God's people. Maybe Naomi thinks that the end will justify the means. It doesn't matter what we have to do as long as we get her married. Perhaps she can't think of another way to get her married or to bring a liaison with Boaz. Perhaps she thinks that advertising... Uh, Ruth on the Bethlehem dating website isn't really going to work. Moabite widow with mother-in-law in <laughs> seeks <laughs> eligible wealthy bachelor <laughs> for a long and prosperous life. Footnote: inheritance and heirs will all come under another name. Behind it all, though, is a lack of It's a lack of trusting God to provide. You know, Naomi doesn't trust God to provide in his way and at his time. Instead, she she feels the need to take matters into her own hands to, to manipulate the situation to get the result that she wants. You know, it's the same thing that happened at the beginning of the book with Elimelech and Naomi and their family to escape the famine they moved to Moab they didn't wait and turn to the Lord and trust him to provide you know you can take the woman out of Moab but it's much harder to take Moab out of the woman instead of trusting the Lord to provide she takes matters into her own hands I need to sort this out I know best how life should go. Maybe she's seen some of God's providence and guidance and she says, "Ah, I I think I can see the way God's going to work. Let me speed up the process or give him a helping hand. Now before we're too harsh on Naomi, isn't that the sort of thing we do? Isn't that the reason we sin? You know, when we think of sin, we often think of it in terms of behaviours and actions. You know, you do something you know you shouldn't. Or you don't do something you know you should. But that really isn't the heart and root of sin. The heart and root of sin is failing to believe that God loves you. That God is good and that he will provide for your needs. And he will do so in his time and his way. It's a failure to believe that he really does care. That he really has a good plan. That he really has a good purpose for your life. And it's that failure to believe that God loves us that that leads us to reject his wise and good authority in our lives. You know, we say, well, I need to be in control of my life. I know how my life should go, and I need to make sure it goes that way. Because God doesn't seem to know how my life should go. Because if he knew how my life should go, it wouldn't be going like it is now. If God really was good and in control, then why is this happening to me? Or why is that why is that not happening to me? You know, we say we believe that God will provide, but in practice We so often want to give providence a helping hand. But it's that desire for control which damages our lives and damages the lives of others. You know, Naomi here exposes Ruth and Boaz to danger. She puts them in a compromising situation. She almost derails God's good plans for their life. You know, if you try and take control of your life, it will lead you to manipulate situations, manipulate people, in order to get your own way. You know, isn't that why we lie? You know, why do we lie? Whether it's a small lie, you know, someone asks us a direct question and we give an evasive answer. It's not completely untrue, but it's not the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Why do we play fast and loose with truth? Why do we sometimes tell outright lies? Because we don't trust God in that moment to make things turn out well. We think if we tell the truth, then it's not going to go well for me. I'm not going to get that promotion. That relationship isn't going to turn out good. So what would it look like not to be someone who manipulates situations? Not be somebody who wants to take control? What would it look like to trust God instead? What does faith look like? That's the second thing we see here. It's the practice of faith. Boaz is a wonderful example of a faithful man. He's put in a compromising situation here by Naomi and Ruth. And yet his faith shines through And it shines through in two ways First of all it shines through Through his integrity Let's return to the story in verse 6 Ruth goes down to the threshing floor And did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her She obeys her mother-in-law Shouldn't everyone in the dark, she uncovers Boaz's feet. She lies down. At mid- midnight, Boaz wakes up and sees a young woman lying at his feet. He asks who she is, and Ruth tells him, and she says this in verse 9. I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, those words are a bit ambiguous. Those words of spread your wings over over your servant it could be a proposal of marriage it could be a proposal of an illicit liaison so here we are with Boaz woken up in the middle of the night on the threshing floor no one else is awake and he finds himself in a tempting situation how do you respond at those moments well, Boaz, of course, could respond in one of three ways. Uh, he could give in to the temptation. You know, he's tired, it's middle of the night, nobody would know. Or he could push Ruth away. You know, who do you think you are like acting like that? Uncovering my legs and, and giving me this proposal and perhaps innuendo. I'm a respectable man. Do you not know that? My reputation is at stake here. Or he could treat her with kindness. And that's what he does. You know, there are, there are some people you shouldn't disturb at breakfast time because of what will come out of their mouths if you do. Boaz is woken up in the middle of the night. And what comes out of his mouth? These first words to Ruth are just kindness personified he says this in verse 10 may you be blessed by the lord my daughter you've made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men whether poor or rich and now my daughter do not fear i will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman he tells her that he knows she's a woman of integrity. Who hasn't been chasing after men. You know, he, he sees past the makeup. He sees past the perfume. He's seen her sweating during the day in the fields of Bethlehem. He knows she's got godly character. He sees her heart and says, well, he promises to redeem her and do what she wants. You know, Boaz is such a man of integrity to be woken up in the middle of the night and to respond like that. But the second thing we see with Boaz is his reliance on God to guide him. In verse 12, he says this I know it's true that I'm a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. After speaking kindly to Ruth, he says there's a problem with Naomi's marriage plan. And the problem is this although he's a redeemer, there's a closer redeemer than him. In other words, there's another guy who has first dibs on the land, first dibs on Ruth. You know, his response is remarkable. You know, he could have ignored that law. You know, it's not one of the Ten Commandments. It's not one of the main laws. You know, he could just have put that to one side. You know, he'd just gone ahead and married Ruth. And, oh, I've forgotten that law was in the Bible. And let's be honest, that's what he wants. He wants to marry her. He wants to be demon. That's what we want, isn't it? You know, we want them to get together. We want the love story to work out. Isn't that what God would want as well? You know, I'm sure he could have said to himself, let's not get caught up in technical legal details here. You know, we know what the, roughly speaking, the right thing to do is. But he doesn't. He doesn't run ahead of God. He, he doesn't take matters into his own hands. He trusts God to provide. He trusts God to guide him. You know, Boaz is a man who does his duty. And his duty is to trust God to work things out in his time and in his way. What's best for him, what's best for Ruth, and what's most honouring to God. You know, this is a wonderful response of faith. One One of the ways to test a person's character, to test a person's faith, is what they do in the moment. What they say when they're caught off guard. See, what you say when you're caught off guard, what you say and do in a crisis, at an unplanned time, often expresses what's really going on in your heart. You know, our spontaneous response in a crisis is much better evidence of what we really think and believe than then how do we appear on a Sunday morning at church? You know, it's when one of your children breaks your favourite mug or you crash the car or the tube is delayed and you're late for a meeting or you end up in a traffic jam or somebody cuts you up on the road or you're woken up in the middle of the night. That's when you really see your faith. That's when you really see what's going on in your heart and what you really believe. And the wonderful thing about Boaz is that he responds in the moment in a godly way. And the reason he does that is because he's taken his hands off the steering wheel of his life. He's no longer in the driving seat. He's no longer in control. God is in control of his life. God is in the driving seat and has been for some time. You see, Boaz has learned through regular practice of his faith how to respond in a crisis. see, the reason he responds like this on the threshing floor at midnight is because he has begun to learn how to respond in faith in every situation he finds himself in see, Boaz has developed spiritual muscle memory. Musicians often talk about muscle memory when it comes to learning an instrument. I'm uh, trying to learn the piano at the moment and create some sort of muscle memory. I'm up to grade three at the moment and uh, uh, my music teacher says I need to learn muscle memory faster than I am doing. (laughs) But muscle memory, it's all about... Practice and practice and practice and practice until you end up just being able to play the notes on the piano because that's the way you always do it. You don't even have to think about it. You don't need the music in front of you. Well, it's possible to cultivate spiritual muscle memory so that in whatever circumstance you find yourself in you respond in a godly way. In a A faithful way. So how do you do that? Well you need to do three things. First you need to see that. If you are left to yourself. If you leave yourself in the driving seat of your life. Then you will mess up your life. Sadly some of us know that from experience. Second you need to believe that God actually loves you. And and he actually has a wonderful plan for your life. Even though it might not be the same as your plan. You need to trust that he has got a good plan. And he does love you. But then the third thing you need to do is immerse yourself in the Bible. In God's word. You see, the general way that God guides us is not by uh, writing words in the sky. Or through uh, having uh, a deep impression of something. The primary way that God guides and directs us is that in answer to our prayers, he gives us the Holy Spirit so we can understand and love the Bible. You see, the Bible gives us good principles and understanding to affect how we think and how we feel and how we act. And so by regularly reading the Bible, by regularly meditating on the Bible, you grow spiritual wisdom in your life. You're able to judge between right and wrong. Just like a musical ear can judge between different notes. You see, the Bible doesn't tell you how to act in every situation you find yourself in. It doesn't tell you how to act when you crash the car. It doesn't tell you how to act when the tube is late. It doesn't tell you how to act when you're woken up At midnight on a threshing floor. But if you saturate yourself in the Bible. You will act in the right way when you are woken up. Because you've developed spiritual muscle memory. Now that's what the psalmist says in Psalm 119. Your word have I hidden in my heart. That I might not sin against you. Boaz has taken his hands off the steering wheel of his life, which is why he responds as a man of faith. It's why he trusts God in whatever circumstance he finds himself in. So how can you do that? How can you do those three things? How can you really take your hand off the steering wheel of your life? Well, you need to know and believe that God will provide for you. You need to believe the promise of plenty. And that's the third thing we see here. At the end of the chapter, like the end of every chapter in the book of Ruth, there is uh, a wonderful uh, uplift and blessing. And this is what we see at the end of the chapter. Verse 14. So she his feet until the morning that arose before one could recognise another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. Now Boaz does two things again for Ruth. He protects her. He protects her safety. And protects her integrity. She should get up while it's still dark. So nobody can make accusations about her. And he provides for her, and provides for Naomi. And this time, he measures uh, uh, six loads of barley into her shawl. That's thirty-six kilograms. You know, it's it's a huge amount. And I think we're su- we're supposed to smile. When we read that, it's a ridiculous amount to try and carry home by yourself. That's why he even has to get hold of it and put it on her back himself. You know, when she gets back to Naomi, she would literally be staggering through the door. You know, you can just imagine when she says, verse 17, These six measures of barley he gave to me. She's puffing and panting while she says it. And then she says, he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Maybe Boaz knew who was behind the plot on the threshing floor. Maybe he could smell Naomi's influence in the perfume. The message to Naomi is clear. Naomi returned to Bethlehem empty the provision of this grain is a sign that she's not going to be empty anymore this barley is evidence that God will provide for her you know Naomi gets the message finally in verse 18 she says to Ruth wait my daughter until you learn how the matter turns out for the man will not rest but will settle the matter today Naomi after being so anxious and worried Naomi is now at peace she's got contentment She knows that that God is going to work things out. She trusts in him. You know, if you want to trust God, you need to know that he's going to provide for you. He's going to provide for all your needs. And do you know that we have greater evidence that he's going to provide for us than Naomi had, that he was going to provide for him, for her? God hasn't given us 30... Six pound 36 kilograms of barley he's given us his son you see we can see the provision of God in Jesus Christ and in his death for us see what's God provided you with he's provided you with forgiveness of sins he's provided you with adoption into his family he's provided you with healing with salvation with a home in heaven See, that's what Jesus was doing when he died on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he took upon himself our sins and was punished there in our place. When he died on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was abandoned by his father. He was empty on the cross so that you can be filled. Though he was rich, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. And if God has done that for you, then you can trust that he will provide for all your needs. That past promise of salvation gives you assurance that he will provide in the future. Which is why Paul can say in Philippians 4, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Not he might supply every need of yours, but he will do so. You don't need to worry about the future. You don't need to worry about tomorrow. You don't need to be anxious and get stressed. You don't need to manipulate situations at work or at home or in your life so that you can make things work out as you want. You don't have to take control of your life. You can take your hands off the steering wheel of your life. You can really trust God to provide. Because he has promised that he will do so. And so you can know the peace of God which passes all understanding. It will keep your heart and mind in the knowledge and the love of God. You can have rest. You can have peace. You don't need to be wearied and burdened. Jesus Christ promises to give us rest. See, God is trustworthy. There's no reason to distrust him. His promises are sure. God is faithful. If he said it, he'll do it. His wisdom plans everything. And God knows everything and what to do. And he is sovereign. Sovereign. He can make things turn out. You and I cannot. Therefore we need to trust him. As the old hymn says, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Let me pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to trust you in every situation we find ourselves in. Lord, we know so often we don't and we know that there are certain specific circumstances and situations which really press our buttons where we do get anxious and stressed and frustrated. Lord, we ask that you would help us to allow you to be in the driving seat of our lives to take control that we might not sin against you but that we might trust you to provide. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.